My mother-in-law asked me this past week as I was on my typewriter, I think it was on Thursday, she says, so you got your sermon done? And I said, well, actually, surprisingly, I've got two or three. I just don't know which one to go with right now. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to give you all of them. Um, look a panic on your face. Um, I wanted to kind of circle back around where we had left a few weeks ago with uh, simplicity and kind of come to maybe an end on that. Not that we end simplicity, it's a lifetime journey. Because in a couple of weeks, I think we'll be moving on to some other themes and topics. I know that the Children's Student Ministry Department have uh, talked about having the theme of equality um, in, their, uh, in their time together, and we talked about doing that together with them in, in meeting for worship. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have, actually have a, a special speaker on the 27th of uh, September, um, the same day as the crop walk. And uh, forgive me, I, I cannot remember the gentleman's name. I've just met him over the phone but I do know he is the director of the High Point Food Alliance uh, here in the High Point area, and he's going to come and talk specifically because it is Crop Walk Sunday. And we've heard this before, but I think it needs to, it bears worth repeating. Unfortunately, uh, we often think being number one is a good thing, but it's not a good thing in this case that High Point is number one in the nation in food scarcity and hunger and food deserts. And this uh, gentleman is, if you will, on the front lines of all this, in terms of his work with hunger, families, and particularly with our own community. And one of the things I hope he'll do is tell us stories. We know enough of the facts. We know the statistics as bad as they are. But I hope he will put faces on these statistics so we can really begin to see what's going on. And so that'll be in a couple weeks. But I wanted to circle back around to this idea of simplicity in using the, the, the passage that Renee read this morning. Uh, one of the things that I did this past week that I have not done in a long time, and since I wasn't paying, I was glad to do it, was I went golfing. And my father-in-law said he has not been golfing in about a couple years, and he's had some health issues, and he's feeling better. And so he said, let's go golfing. And I said, you're buying? He said, yes. I said, let's go. And uh, so we went golfing, and uh, I think it was Thursday morning, and got out there at the early hour of 8.15, and it had been a long time since I'd been at uh, uh, golf course at 8.15 in the morning. It's actually really nice on a cool Indiana morning. you got the soybeans on one side, you got the corn on the other, and you got that fog that's just kind of hovering over all of that. It really is a beautiful sight. So I was sitting there in the golf cart waiting while the foursome in front of us was teeing off, and they were teeing off in more ways than one because uh, one of the last guys of the group of foursome, he hit the shot. Admittedly, it was not a very pretty shot. Um, but as he walked back to his cart, he put his club and he slammed it in the bag and he just began to mumble, well, this is going to be a bad day. And I thought, really? The first hole, 8.16 in the morning, and you have already decided that this is going to be a bad day. And I thought, well, I'm certainly not glad I'm within that group. But there's something about golf which is both, as I began to learn the rest of the day, which is both simple but yet complex. This should be an easy game. Those of you who play it know what I'm talking about. It can't be that hard. 16 holes later, you're what? Throwing your clubs in the pond and saying, I'm never going to play this game again. Or you're throwing your clubs in the cart and you're saying, as my father-in-law said, just X me out the rest. I'm not keeping score anymore because he knew I was winning. <laughs> Simple but yet complex. I think that's how the life of simplicity can be at times. It can be simple, 
but yet it can be complex. In some ways, we think it shouldn't be this hard, but in other ways, it's very challenging because it invites me to make decisions and choices that maybe I don't always want to have to make, but I need to make. I'm just going to use the images that came right from this passage that Renee read. And the first one is this one about running, where we're invited to run this race. When I was in middle school, I ran track, the 800-meter. I did that in middle school, and when, when, when I ran, I had one goal, and I'm not ashamed to say it because it was sort of, sort of, it was sort of the, uh, the, the purpose back then. I had one goal, which was to win. I had one goal, which was to win. Now, I run now, but my goal is usually to survive the 28 minutes on the treadmill and get two miles in. So my goals have changed. I've adjusted but when I ran, I had this purpose, which was to win. And the writer of Hebrews says, run the race that is laid out in front of us. And during that time, that image would have resonated with the people that heard those words read to them because all around them were these Olympic athletes. All around them were these stadiums. People, men particularly, were constantly training and running. This is sort of where the Olympics came from. And so he says, run this race, do it with determination, do it with effort, do it with focus. And what I realize at times is this faith journey, this life journey, this journey of simplicity takes as much effort and focus and determination on my part that I can offer to it. As we talked about here a few minutes ago, it's really giving our best self to this journey. You can't finish a race if you don't start. And you can't experience the finish line if you never leave the starting line. So how do I engage this journey? Well, here is our simplicity of focus. Again, straight from what Renee read. First, throw off any extra baggage you have in your life. That was one of the phrases that was mentioned in that passage. Throw off any extra baggage. Now, I've traveled enough that one of the things I love to do when I think of that image when I'm at airports is see all the people and how they pack. See some people where I don't know where they're going or how long they're going, but it seems like they're going away for a very, very long time because they have a lot of stuff. And then there's people who I know just seem to pack everything for a whole two weeks journey in one suitcase. I roomed with Dwight when we went to Costa Rica about three or four years ago. This man knows how to pack. If you don't know how to pack, you need to talk to this man right here. He rolls things up, puts tape around them, and puts them in his suitcase, and he had enough clothes for one week in this little tiny handbag of a suitcase. And then when we're coming back from Costa Rica, he's bought all these souvenirs, and he's put them in the suitcase with his clothes, and then he has the audacity to say to me, I've still got some room left over. You want to put any of your stuff in my bag? I said, how do you have room left over? This man knows how to pack. Now, me... Even going to Indiana, I have trouble making decisions when I pack. Do I take this? Do I not take this? What's the weather going to be like? Will I need this? I better take all my shoes because I don't know where we're going to be doing. Should I take this shirt? Should I have this shirt? Maybe these pants. Maybe these shorts. Should I need this belt? I just look over my suitcase, and Linda finally comes in and rescues me. And by the way, she packs like Dwight now. <laughs> Trying to decide what you will take with you and what you will leave behind is some of the hardest decisions you may have to make. Look at the image of baggage. Pastor Erwin McManus describes it this way. Make sure you get rid of the baggage that slows you down. 
There's some things that will bring you to a stop or at least slow you down, drag you down, and keep you from living the life God created you to live. It's not all the bad stuff. Sometimes you choose the average rather than the extraordinary. Sometimes we're dragged down because we choose a lesser dream that requires less courage, less risk, less sacrifice. And so we abdicate the great dreams that God has for us. Maybe the baggage could be the guilt that we need to move past, regrets that we need to let go of, relationships that are unhealthy, attitudes that have become cynical and negative, maybe expectations and responsibilities that we keep taking on, but they're not ours to take on. Making these decisions and these choices are not always easy. It's like me looking into my suitcase and saying, I can't take all of this. Some of this I'm going to have to leave behind, so what will it be? So again, that's a very personal question. I don't know what that will be for you. I know what it is for me. And I know sometimes in my life I drag around some excess baggage I don't need to be dragging around because I just have not been able to let go of it yet. So what baggage do you need to let go of? That's one of the first steps toward this long-term journey of simplicity. And then the author says this, get rid of the sin that trips you up. I don't know if you've ever been tripped up in a race. When I was in middle school, I did. I was tripped up on the last lap, and the guy in first place moved over to block, and I got tripped up, and I fell. I got back up, but pretty much ended up in last place. And getting tripped up pretty much impedes our journey. It pretty much gets in the way of us ever finishing the race, and sometimes significantly. Now, what the writer says is this. Get rid of the sin that trips us up. Now, sometimes I think there's a certain knee-jerk reaction when we hear that word. I'm going to be very honest. Some of us come into church, into the faith life, with very negative images of what that means. Some of us grew up in very strict, maybe very legalistic homes where um, just playing cards or just doing certain things felt very sinful. Some came from very um, different kinds of homes of what sin meant. And so we have these sort of moving definitions. And sometimes we go to one of two extremes. We either say that, well, I'm a really horrible person, a worthless person. I can't do anything right, so everything I do must fall into that category because I never get it right. Or we go to the other extreme and we say, well, there's nothing wrong with the human condition. It's perfectly fine. We're just having a bad day. But somewhere in the middle of that, I have to admit and confess that there is something about the human condition that at times arcs toward our own self-absorption and sabotaging life and even our own human condition. You know, the word sin in the Bible simply means to miss the mark. It was if you were shooting an arrow and you missed the target. And as I understand that, for me, to sin is really to miss the mark of what God has intended for us the best that God has intended for us. And sometimes when I miss that mark, it's out of my own actions. It's my own behavior. It's my own attitudes. It's my own dispositions. It's basically me sabotaging my own life. I really wrestled with this and tried to come up with a definition of what sin would be. So here's my definition. It's any action or behavior that diminishes the wholeness and the potential flourishing of my life and the life of others. We were created for wholeness. We were created to flourish, but there is a bent in the human condition in which we sometimes find ourselves working and living against that wholeness and flourishing, and it often results in actions we know as sin. 
And the actual meaning of that word is to miss the mark. So in sin, we're missing the mark of our intended wholeness and flourishing. And when we miss the mark, sometimes we hit other people. Now, I don't know if that works for you. It works for me for right now. But what it tells me is that there are actions and behaviors in my life that sometimes diminish my life and the lives of others and sabotages me. Or to use the image, it trips me up. So, what is it in my life? What is it in your life? What actions, behaviors, dispositions, and attitudes do we possess that diminish the intended wholeness in our life as well as others? Where are you or I missing the mark? And what's tripping us up and sabotaging our own wholeness in life? Now, I will say this. We look at all of that under the grace and mercy of God and know that we aren't shown that so God can say, I got you. We're shown that so God can say, now let's heal it. Let's bring wholeness to your life because that's really what God wants for us is wholeness. And then the writer directs our attention to this image where he says, fix our eyes on Jesus. In other words, direct your attention and focus on one person, one person's life, one person's presence in our life, and that's Jesus. And if you're on the water, if you're sailing, if you're, if you're uh, drifting, you try to find a fixed point. And in that fixed point, you know which direction to go. Have you ever been at the beach and you've just waded out a little bit and you're maybe floating on one of those floats and you turn around to look to see the group that you're with and you think the group has moved? The group hasn't moved. What's happened? You've drifted down a ways and now you're farther down. Sometimes in Indiana, uh, they use GPSs now, but sometimes the farmers would find a fixed point when they're plowing the field and they would just go directly to that and fix their eyes on that because it would keep them going in the direction they needed to go. In our own Quaker language, I would say this. Pay attention to the inward guide. Listen to the inward teacher. Pay attention to the living Christ. This is our way of fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's paying attention to what Jesus speaks to us how Jesus leads us, how Jesus lived his life as a way of showing us how we can live our life in the simple faith and trust in God. So life is precious. The mission of the kingdom of God is too important, and the time that we have been given here on earth is too valuable to further away this one life that we have. So I kind of circle back around and say, if we want to engage this journey of simplicity, maybe... Maybe in the complexity of it, it's as simple as this. Let go of the baggage. What is the baggage you have? Just begin to let go of it. What's weighing you down? What's dragging you down? Deal head-on with the issues in your life that keep tripping you up, the internal issues, the inward issues, the issues that you've been struggling, maybe attitudes, behaviors, dispositions. And then keep our hearts and souls focused and attentive to the living Christ who resides within to enter into this journey of simplicity whose destination is freedom, joy, and liberation. I came across this story. I'm going to end with this. I just happened to come across it last couple days. I picked up this little book called A Beautiful Mess, written by a woman named Danielle Strickland. And I wouldn't do it justice if I tried to just sort of paraphrase it, so I'm going to read it to end on. She writes this, I have a friend who survived the Rwandan country in Africa, genocide. You may remember years ago, the Hutus and the Tutsis were in this just horrible 
uh, battle, this, this genocide, and uh, so many people were killed. I didn't know she was a survivor until we were in a small group and talking about encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus is one of the simple and complex things. So the question my small group was answering that day was this, when have you encountered Jesus? A good question. Everyone's answer was nice, but my friend, and we'll call her Sam, said this, when I was in the forest. Well, that was nice, but I wasn't sure what she meant. So I asked her, and she told me that it was when she and 40 other kids had run for their life after seeing their parents murdered in front of them. They ran to the forest and they hid. And for 40 days, she said, that every day they were scared and they felt alone. And they would pray. And then Jesus would show up. He showed up in the forest. She said because Jesus showed up, they knew they were not alone and they weren't afraid anymore. And she said many of the children could sleep through the night after Jesus had come. Some other people snuck them food and kept them alive. The response of the group was overwhelmingly shocking and silence. We had no idea our friend had lived through that kind of horror and that kind of wonder at the same time. I had a hundred questions. I wanted to know everything. Mostly, I wanted to know how she went through that kind of event and managed to survive and to live and to go on living. And she said it was simple. She said she chose to forgive. And then she could move on. What, I thought? I wondered about this, and then I asked her about it again later. What did she mean? How did she manage to forgive people who murdered her family? How could she do something so incredibly hard? And she said, it was simple. I listened to Jesus. He said to forgive my enemies, and so I did. There it is again, that incredible, simple thing. And then she closes with this. I know Jesus said to forgive, but forgiveness is complex. And some of us probably know that firsthand. It's tricky stuff, or is it? Perhaps encountering Jesus is simple and complex at the same time. Perhaps listening to him is the same. We hum and we ah, and we waste a lot of time thinking about the theological implications of things, and we wonder how they line up with our current value system. But what would happen, and this is key, what would happen if we took the truth of the gospel as simple? What would happen if we really lived out the good news? What would our lives look like if we forgave freely, gave generously, shared what we had with the hungry and the poor? It would look simple and complex all at the same time. Yes, it's simple and complex all at the same time. When I think of letting go of the baggage in my life, it's simple and it's complex. When I think of the attitudes and dispositions in my life that keep tripping me up, and for some reason, even though I know they keep tripping me up, I want to hang on to them. It's simple and complex all at the same time. Even though I know, I know through my own encounter that if I would listen more to Jesus and not be so stubborn, I know if I did that, Not that things would turn out perfect, but I would have a deeper sense of meaning and purpose and peace and calm and even deep fulfillment. Even though I know that, sometimes I just want to do it my own way. It's simple and complex all at the same time. But I think when we know in our heart what ends up 
bringing us the deepest fulfillment and satisfaction and blessing, if you will, what helps us flourish more than anything else, we probably know what that answer is. And again, it seems simple, but it's complex and it's challenging. But it's worth the journey.